0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you.
1: Do not resist the one who is evil. And if anyone should slap you on your right cheek... Turn and give him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. See the speck that is in your brother's eye. But do not notice the law in your own eye. Your father knows what you need know before you ask him. Pray then, like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And if anyone should force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. <clears throat> as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy Thieves, break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the flood, But everyone who hears these words of mine, and does them, will be like a wise man, who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall.
0: Because it had been founded on the rock. Amen. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Listen to this last part, what he said. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. It did not fall. What is the it that Jesus was referring to? Anybody want to take a chance at it? it did not fall, the house, the house, but let me ask you a trick question, was Jesus really talking about houses, what was he talking about, talking about lives, amen, right, come on, let's hold up our Bibles before we get into today's message, and let's do our Bible declaration, the words will be on the screen, if you don't know it, Um, I invite you to just kind of read the, read the words with me, come on, let's say it nice and loud, come on, This is my Bible. It is God's Word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, fill me with the Holy Spirit, then send me out to share Christ with others so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. I'm going to read out of the uh, contemporary English Bible today. This is what the Bible says. Jesus is speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into practice. It's like a person building a house by digging deep and laying the foundation on bedrock. When the flood came, the rising water smashed against that house, but the water couldn't shake the house because... It was well built. But those who don't put into practice what they hear are like a person who built a house without a foundation. The flood water smashed against it and it collapsed instantly. It was completely destroyed. Now, it's important to remember that these are the closing words of the infamous Sermon on the Mount. And it was very significant. It was probably one of the most, if not the most, significant teachings of Jesus. Now, I want you to make this connection. Oftentimes, mountains in the Bible are associated with worship to God. And receiving revelation and insight and spiritual understanding from God. For example, Mount Moriah, the Lord commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Anybody remember that story? And Isaac was supposed to be the sacrifice, but God supernaturally intervened and demonstrated himself... To be Abraham's forever provider. On Mount Sinai. Moses received the ten what? Commandments. And God spoke to Moses and through Moses in a very significant way. How about on Mount Carmel? Elijah the prophet. He pulls on the power of God by calling down fire from heaven. And it sucks up the offering, and he destroys all the prophets of Baal. Each of these mountains, and there are others, they acted as a bridge, so to speak, between heaven and earth. And such is the case with a sermon on the mount. It's a bridge between heaven and earth. And Jesus is delivering this significant sermon, and he closes or he wraps up this sermon with some very, very important closing words. And that's what we just read, and we're going to focus on some of that today. This is our final week in a three-part series. If you missed the first two weeks, you can go to our podcast and you can catch up and we're calling the series out of order. Come on, say those three words with me. Come on. Out of order. And the subtitle that the Lord gave me is realigning our priorities. We got to remember that we're all different. We all have different personalities, we all have all different family dynamics, different hobbies, different responsibilities, different likes, different dislikes, different career paths. Some of us are retired. Some of us are thinking about retirement. And the way that we pattern and prioritize our lives are all very different. However, there is a way that Jesus calls all of his disciples to pattern and prioritize their lives. Now, I want to include this. It's important to recognize that Jesus doesn't just want you and I to be church members. He doesn't want people to simply be converts, to say a prayer and go to heaven. That's included, but more than that, he expects all who receive him as Lord and Savior to become disciples. Now, I know we don't use that vernacular every day, but it's a very biblical term. And a disciple is a Christian, I think I have this on the screen, a disciple is a Christian who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus, winning the lost, and making other disciples. Excuse me if it's not on the screen. That's my shortcoming. But listen to that again. Not just a convert, not just a church member, not just someone who's going to heaven, but a disciple. A disciple is a person who's being changed by Jesus, who follows Jesus, is on mission with Jesus, winning the lost, and making other disciples. That's a biblical definition. Starts with Matthew uh, Matthew 4.19, where Jesus tells Peter, follow me and I will make you become, anybody know what it says? What? Fishers of men. That's first words out of the gate. Jesus, follow me. And as you do, you're going to be changed. And at some point, you are going to become what I am. A fisher of men. On mission with Jesus, winning other people to Jesus, and making them to become disciple makers as well. That's a disciple. That's a biblical definition. However, Many people live, now, do y'all have closed-toe shoes on? Nobody wearing slippers or flip-flops? If you got flip-flops, curl your toes. I don't want to step on any toes. I want to be gentle. Listen to me. Many people, however, live and do whatever seems right to them. Listen, they occasionally listen to or hear Jesus' words, read the Bible, listen to sermons. And when it's convenient, and if it's in their schedule, they come to him when they're in trouble or they're desperate. I'm not saying you do that. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who say they're Christians do that. It's a cultural thing. And in order to receive all that Jesus has for us, we have to recognize him that he has a priority and an order. And he talks about it in this text. Week one, if you remember, we talked about coming to Jesus. For us, this should be a practice and a priority. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, comes to me. Coming to Jesus is not a one-time event when I repent for my sins and receive him as Lord. Coming to Jesus could be every day. Come on, do I have anybody here who comes to Jesus every day? I know I got some, right? We come to him, we sit before him. Week two in this series, we focus on the necessity of hearing his sayings. Remember, he said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings. So we come to him, we invest time with him through prayer, reading the Bible, singing songs, praying in the Spirit, whatever that looks like for you. And then we hear the Word. We hear His sayings. Look at Luke six forty six and 47 again. It's not just me. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, hears my words, And puts them in to practice. Say that last part with me. And puts them in to practice. The title of today's message is this. Put them, Jesus' words, into practice. Come on, say it with me. Put them, Jesus' words, you got to do this, Jesus' words, into practice. The subtitle that the Lord gave me is this founded on the rock come on how many of you want your lives to be founded on the rock getting more and more solid more and more stable more and more secure now let me just say this okay so i don't know a lot and god's still working on me but i've been walking with jesus for 30 31 years and there have been times in my life where my life was so shaky was so being built on sand, was so jacked up. Can I say that in church? Just jacked up. Um, And I just didn't know how it was ever going to get solid, going to get better, going to become stable. And let me just tell you, it's the enemy's plan to try to convince you that your life can't get solid or become stable or get built on founded, solid ground like Jesus is talking to you. I just want to tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell, because God is faithful to his word. And if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, and you you just study this, this sermon out we're going to look at today, it will significantly impact your life. And little by little by little, your life will become more and more solid. Now, the last part of this text, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, and here's my words and puts them into practice. I looked that up in a couple of different versions. Let me just read them to you. The New King James puts it this way. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, does them, say does them, does them. That's like puts them into practice, synonymous, right? The Amplified Version says, everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and obeys them. That's synonymous to does them and puts them into practice. The CSB version says, Here's my words and acts on them. Acts on them. And then the NCB version says, Here's my words and acts in accordance with them. With them. So, Jesus Jesus starts this out by asking a pretty tough question, though. It's thought-provoking, but it's kind of tough. He says... Why do you, Robert, call me Lord and don't do what I say? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question. Jesus has the right to ask me that question, though. And I just want us to remember the word Lord means the one to whom a person belongs or the one who has the deciding power In one's life, the master, the owner, the ruler, the boss, the one who is to be honored and revered. That's Jesus. So Jesus is asking, why do you keep calling me Lord if you don't do what I say? Let me include this. He would say to me, I thought you want me to be the shepherd of your life. Leading you and guiding you and providing for you and restoring you. I thought that's what you want but if you want that you have to allow me to be the Lord of your life Robert you can't just tell me that I'm the Lord and then live like you're the Lord of your own life because when you do that whether you recognize it or not you forfeit what I have for you doesn't mean I don't want it for you but you forfeit what I have for you this is so important church because the best that God has for us is connected to putting His words into practice. Coming to Him is great. Hearing His words is great, but the blessing is really attached to putting His words into practice. James: 122 through24 says this. Listen. You must be doers of the Word and not hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear but don't do the Word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves, they walk away, and they immediately forget what they were like. That's called deception. If you're just hearing the Word and you're not a doer of the Word... But you know you should be. The word says that we're deceiving ourselves. We forget who we really are. And we're just kind of living out of order. Out of alignment. And when that happens, I forfeit many of the things that God has for me. Now, I want to just real quickly, in the time that we have left, I want to give you five truths about putting God's word into practice. Just real quick. I'm not going to teach on them. Be pretty quick. But you can go home and you can study this out further. Truth number one obedience is not legalism. Come on, say it with me. Obedience is not legalism. One of the tricks of the devil is to get God's people to think that the teaching of obedience is somehow legalistic. And people say, uh, Didn't Jesus come to make us free from the law? Aren't we saved by grace through faith and not by works? Yes. And obedience, especially in the context of what we're talking about right now, is not trying to get you saved by being obedient. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Legalism exists when people attempt to secure salvation or righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalists believe that they can earn God's approval by performing the requirements of the law. That's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about obedience. The the concern that some Christians might have is connected with the word obedience in in this way. Um, They might think when they hear obedience that you're only loved by God, accepted by God, and saved by God if you do what he says. But if you don't do what he says, then you're not loved by God, you're not accepted by God, and you can't be saved by God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are already in a relationship with God by grace through faith, and now Jesus is the Lord of our life, and we're learning to understand that all throughout the Scripture, God wants us to learn to walk in obedience. Okay? So we're not talking about a legalistic approach here. Okay, Pastor Robert, why is obedience so important? Truth number two. Obedience demonstrates my faith. Come on, say it with me, church. Obedience demonstrates my faith. See, obedience is a demonstration of our faith, our belief, our conviction, and our trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life. And let me just say this. It flows from a relationship, not an obligation. It flows from a relationship with Jesus, not just an obligation. James chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Listen. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. And you see the connection. It's so practical. God wants to get down to my level so that I can understand. You come across a guy and the Holy Spirit moves on your heart to help him. It's windy. It's cold. It's winter. He doesn't have a jacket. He's sleeping on the streets. You've got extra jackets. He doesn't have any food. And you go up to him and say, hey, brother, stay warm. Hope you get something to eat. And then you leave. Well, that doesn't demonstrate your faith at all. It's just words we got to get to the point where we demonstrate our faith by obedience, by following through with what the Lord asks us to do. Obedience demonstrates, I believe, that Jesus is who He says He is, has done what He says He has done, and will do what He's promised to do. Because I believe, I will do what He has asked me to do and instructed me to do. If that makes sense, somebody say, Amen. Point number three. Obedience is an act of devotion and surrender. Come on, say this with me. Obedience is an act of devotion and surrender. John chapter 14, verse 15. Look at this. These are Jesus' words. I'm not making them up. He's speaking to His disciples. If... You love me. You will keep my commandments. Now, um, I've studied this out. And I'm human. Most of the time, I don't like to be told what to do. I don't know why there's a little bit of that in me. And the Lord's still working that out in my life. So this is one of those verses when I read it, I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me cringe a little bit. It's like, uh, I don't know why. It's that human part of me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Moses got 10 commandments from God. By the way, Those Ten Commandments are still applicable for our lives today. We don't have to obey them to go to heaven. We go to heaven through Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we have the right now to live immoral and ungodly. Those Ten Commandments, I think the first four focus on our relationship with God. And the last six focus on our relationship with other human beings. And they're very, very applicable. If you don't believe me, Just start living in a way very loosely and breaking all of them and see how your life goes. Won't go very good, whether you're a believer or not. So they bring some moral stability to our life. But we don't have to obey them to go to heaven. But we get to obey them because we're already on our way. It's part of our relationship with God. But I think when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One time a lawyer went to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Which one is the number one that I need to obey? You guys remember that story? Do You remember what Jesus responded? Most of you probably know, at least a couple of you. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. Anybody remember that? And then he said, and the second one is like it. What did he say? You shall love your... What did he say? You should love your... You love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? That's other people. So you could say in those two commandments, Jesus sums up the ten. Because the ten are about loving God and honoring God and loving people and other people. Jesus is wise though, isn't he? He just breaks it down. Let me get it simple for you. Love God and love other people. If you love me, you will... Keep my commandments. So Jesus connects a person's love for him with their obedience to his teachings. Now, one commentary that I looked at said this. There are two possible extremes to which this verse can be subjected. You could take this verse in two different extremes. One is something like legalism or works-based salvation. That's an extreme. The other extreme... Is to brush the statement aside. This statement that Jesus said. If you love me you'll keep my commandments. The other extreme. Is to brush the statement aside. As if my behavior says nothing. About my eternal destiny. And my relationship with Jesus as Lord. Both extremes are wrong. Both extremes are unbiblical. 1 John 5.3 says. Not the gospel, but the letter. 1 John 5.3. This is what the Bible says. This is the love of God. We keep His commandments. And then he says this. God's commandments are not difficult. Ah! Oh! Come on. I don't know. Come on. Doesn't that bother anybody? God's commandments are not difficult. And let me give you a secret. Okay. God is not asking you or me to obey Him and to put the words of Jesus into practice on our own. He's not asking you to do it in your own strength. As a matter of fact, He knows you can't. He knows I can't. And that's why He sent the Holy Come on. Spirit, the greater one lives in you. How many of you remember what Jesus said in John 15? John 15, the whole thing was good, but just picking a verse, uh, verse 4. not in my notes. Listen. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me now let me just let me just bring some biblical undergirding to this text if you're a christian you already abide in jesus come on that's one amen come on amen If you're a Christian, you're not trying to get in. You're in. I'm in. You're as in as you could ever be. You're in Him and He's in you. And according to Jesus' words, you're both in the Father. You're as close as you're ever going to be to Jesus. So you're not trying to get in. But you have to recognize that you're in. And then, there are some practical things that you and I can do that... Help us to experience our abiding in Jesus. You know what they are. Coming to Jesus. I'm investing time with him. I got work. I got career. I got family. I got kids. I got hobbies. I got vacation. I got responsibilities. I got bills. I got yard work. I got hair. I got nails. I got cars. I got tune-ups. I got stuff. And God gives you all of those things to do. But He still has an order and a priority. And the order is, find a slot in your life that I gave you, by the way. Find a slot in your life, in your busyness of life that I gave you By the way, the last breath you took, oh, you're welcome. I gave it to you. Don't tell me, son, don't tell me, daughter, you don't have time. You have time. We have time. We invest our time in what we value the most. Here's the order. Come to me. Hear my sayings. And put my words into practice. Pastor Robert, I can't. That's hard. He's not even asking you to do that in your own strength. If you look to the Holy Spirit who lives in you, he'll give you the strength to do it. So I can't say Jesus is Lord and live out of order. Well, let me put it this way. I can. But I won't experience God's best by living that way. Come on, somebody say amen. Pastor Robert, dear, you're stepping on my toes. I thought you weren't going to step on my toes. I'm not meaning to step on anybody's toes. I'm just trying to speak the truth in love. This message is just as much for me as it is for anyone who's hearing it. Because we all want to experience God's best. But there's an order to experience God's best. Don't let the enemy put condemnation or guilt on you. Just just hang in there with me till we get done. I promise when we leave, you're going to be able to do this. Here's the other thing we need to know point number four obedience is a progression, not a destination. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you'll never get to the point where you'll be able to say, I've arrived. I am perfect. Every thought, every word, every meditation of my heart, every action, everything perfect every single day. You'll never get there, not till you get to heaven. So you've got to understand that obedience is a progression. And we're all growing and we're all learning. And the Holy Spirit is taking us from one level to the next level to the next level. But he'll, he'll lead us to be able to become more and more obedient to Christ. So don't beat yourself up. Don't feel all kinds of weight and pressure. Take a deep breath. Realize that obedience is a lifelong progression. And all of us are still growing. What are some practical areas where I can obey God? I can start by reading my bible. That's that's a good place to start. I can start by loving my wife not just in word but in deed. I can start by praying for Joey so that he could do that. No, I'm just kidding. I could start listen by being honest in all of my dealings. Being honest you know, in 1993, I had my real estate license. I sold residential real estate in California for about three years. Sold a lot of houses, probably about 100 houses. And um, I didn't pay my taxes for like two years. We got married. I had debt. She had debt. We had a house payment, two car payments, credit card debt. We were tight. I wasn't the sharpest knife in the box. And uh, the debt caught up to me. And in the real estate industry, you're considered an independent contractor, and you have to take care of your own taxes. And you you don't pay your taxes, you're in trouble. So a year went by, I didn't pay my taxes. And our tax guy said, listen, you owe $13,000. You made this money, you got to pay that. I didn't have it. It's bad. Car payment, car payment, house payment. Credit card pay. I was dumb. I was young. Come on, I was young. And um, I had several people who said, hey, just file bankruptcy. Do away with all your debt. Get a free, free clean slate. And I was learning to come to Jesus at that point. I was about 23, 24 years old. And the more that I would come to Jesus, the more that I would hear his sayings, the more I was convinced that it wasn't honorable and it wasn't honest to just file bankruptcy because I had mismanaged money and I had used it. And and I, for me, felt like the Lord was saying, I'm going to help you to get out of this debt. You got to do it my way though. Long story short, I didn't file bankruptcy and over a few years we paid off $50,000 of unsecured debt and we went through Quite a storm financially. But being honest in your dealings with finances and government and employers and all of that stuff, that goes into the heart of a disciple wanting to follow Jesus and being changed by Jesus. That's part of putting his words into practice. Another area that I can learn to obey God is I can watch my mouth. I used to be a cusser. Four little words. And so on and so forth. And little by little, the Lord's changed me. I'm not a cusser anymore. Um, another area I could obey God is I could get married. I thought you're married already. I am. Don't make, don't make any confusion about that. Um, what I mean was, is when my wife and I got engaged, six months, three months, three months after I met her, She was lucky enough for me to ask her to marry me. I'm just kidding, honey. I was lucky enough to ask you to marry me. (laughs) And, um, you know, the culture, even back then, was like, you already bought your house, right? Because we bought our house. It was a house that I put up for sale as a real estate agent, and I worked it out so that I could buy it. And um, so we bought a house. We had it before we got married. And many people told me, "Dude, just move in, just move in now together." But when I come to Jesus and and I and I hear his sayings, and he says, "No, no, 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 you're a Christian." Supposed to get married first. And so Yolanda and I talked about it. Don't think it didn't go through my mind. It did. It just made life easier. But we didn't. We got married before God, kept the house vacant, or I might have moved in. I don't remember. But we did not move in together until we got married. Pastor Robert, come on, times have changed. God's word hasn't changed. I'm just telling you how to be blessed. Now, if you're living in an area of your life that's out of alignment, there's hope for all of us. I'm still growing. I can still come to Jesus and realign some things and reprioritize some things and get things back in alignment. Come on, somebody say amen. Start where you are, do what you know, and strive to grow. Here's the fifth point I want to make, final point. Obedience comes with great reward. Come on, somebody say it with me. Obedience comes with great reward. In Luke 11:27 and 28, while Jesus was saying these things, a certain woman in the crowd spoke up. Happy is the mother who gave birth to you, Jesus, and who nursed you. But Jesus said, "Happy Rather, are those who hear God's word, come on and say it with me, and put in, into practice. Now, the word happy is the same Greek word that Jesus used in the Sermon of the Mount when he shared the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger for God. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You guys remember that? Blessed in Greek is the Greek word for happy, Makarios. And it means supremely blessed. It means to be fortunate and to be well off by God. And I want you to know that the primary cause of all blessing is God. When you become a Christian, you're already blessed. Singular. His blessing is on your life. However, keyword, experiencing. Experiencing. His blessings, plural. The release of His blessing, singular, in and on your life. The blessings. In order to experience those, we have to learn to put the words of Jesus into practice. Let me read this to you before we leave. It's a great article. If you want it, I can give it to you or I can show you where to get it. The title of the article is, Does God reward us for being obedient to His Word? Great question. Does God reward us for being obedient to His Word? We can better answer this question by recognizing that God's Word is the instruction manual for our lives. When we apply its principles, our consciences are clean and our lives function as they were designed to function. Consider it this way. A man purchases an unassembled swing set for his children. He's not the engineering type, and he has no experience in working with tools. But if he reads the manual and consults with people who have assembled such things before, he will be able to set up the swing set the way that it was designed. And he and his children will be greatly rewarded for his trouble. If he ignores the owner's manual, however, he's courting frustration and possibly disaster. There are built-in rewards for simply following instructions. God's reward to those who obey His Word can seem like natural consequences. For example... A child obeys God's word and honors his parents. He finds that he is blessed with closer family relationships, less conflict, and more trust. Are these direct blessings of God for obedience or the natural consequences of treating parents well? Or both? Another example. A teenager obeys God's word And avoids sexual immorality. She finds that she is blessed with less complicated romantic relationships, fewer heartaches, and an absence of STDs. Is she experiencing a direct blessing from God for obedience? Or the logical outcome of choosing the path of abstinence before marriage or both whatever struggles we face on earth in order to obey god's word will be overly compensated in eternity with rewards we cannot even imagine final truth that i said obedience comes with great reward Have you been blessed by the Word today? Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. Such a promise. Such reward. Such blessing. Whoever comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, it's like a person building a house by digging deep and laying the foundation on the bedrock. When the flood came... The rising water smashed against that house, but the water could not shake the house because it was well built. Holy Spirit, help us to build well. Give us a desire to dig deep spiritually. I pray specifically now, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice, who's experiencing troubled times, troubled waters, difficulties, heartache, hopelessness. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that your word says if you've committed sin and you confess your sin to me, that I'm, I'm faithful, I'm just, I'm righteous to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you a fresh start. So Father, I pray for that this morning. Forgive me. Forgive us for living out of alignment. Help us to reprioritize our lives so that we're people who come to Jesus, hear His sayings, and put them into practice. We thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. We're so desperate for Him.